Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. You know, uh, only a few of you know this, but I've actually started working out with a trainer. Uh, his name is Ron. Ron's over there. Wave your hand, Ron, so everybody can see you. You can't miss Ron. I mean, he's, he was Mr. USA and Mr. America, um, and, and uh, he was served in the military as a military police, very appropriate. And um, we actually asked him to start taking up the offering, and it's amazing how much the offerings went up. Uh, so... Uh, Pray for Ron as he works with me. Uh, you know, I went in there the other day. He said, okay, today we're going to use a massive eight pounds. I said, now you're just mocking me. And, uh, but anyway, he is, uh, he's doing, I appreciate him very much. And I appreciate uh, his working with me. I've lost 30 pounds. I want to lose uh, a lot more. And, uh, but I want to be in good health. So because I don't want Mary to go looking for another young thing, you know, so it's, there's good motives behind it. And, uh, but anyway, there's a thing called spatial um, disorientation. And that's when you kind of lose sight of references and your body can confuse you about what your orientation really is. And for a pilot, that's a deadly thing. Uh, John Kennedy, you know, many years ago died in a plane crash that he was flying and they ruled that it was spatial disorientation where he lost sight, he went into a fog uh, haze and he lost sight of lights, uh, lost sight of the uh, horizon and your brain confuses you and when, you, when you're not instrument trained, you don't pay attention, you're not watching the instruments, you're paying attention to what your body is saying to you and so your body may tell you you're flying straight and level when in reality you're going straight down into the ground which is what he did, he went straight into the ocean. And this past Thursday night, one of our church planners with the North American Mission Board uh, had, you know, was a fairly new pilot, and he had a meeting at Nam in Atlanta, and he's good friends with a lot of my friends, and, and uh, so he was by himself, fairly new pilot, and he took off Thursday night when there were a lot of storms, and he took off at night, and within 12 minutes, he crashed and died. And uh, it was, uh, and it, it, they haven't ruled yet, obviously, but it's probably going to turn out it was spatial dis, disorientation. Um, he probably flew in the clouds. You know, with the instruments they have on planes today, you can go online and you can track a plane and see what it did. And so I, when I heard about what happened, I talked to the president of NAM, who's a good friend of mine, and, and they're just all heartbroken because he had just been in a meeting with him. I talked to another friend of mine who had just been texting with him before he took off. And, and so he, it looks like he didn't, he didn't follow a flight plan. Uh, because they didn't actually know he had crashed until the next day because nobody knew to look for him because he didn't file a flight plan. He wasn't talking to anybody. And if he'd been talking to flight controllers, then they would have told him and they would have warned him they'd have gotten him out of there. And so when I went online to look to see the flight path and what he did, um, within 10 minutes of his flight, 
I saw him do a complete 180, and then he immediately did another 180. 180 is what you're supposed to do if you get in bad weather and just get out of there. And then all of a sudden, his altitude went down and his speed went up. And the plane got 15 miles over its red line limit. And so, thankfully, he probably died immediately. But how tragic that was and how unnecessary that was. And so he was paying attention to what his brain was telling him, what his body was telling him, instead of what the instruments were telling him. Now that's the way it, with, with us as well, in that we can have spiritual disorientation. The Bible says that we do things that seem right to us. We do things based on our wisdom. And the Bible says that our wisdom is foolishness to God. And, and it says everybody does what is right in their own mind. And almost always it ends in a disaster. And, and so God has given us an instrument panel and our job is to pay attention to those instruments and prayer and the Bible and wise counsel are some of the instruments on that panel and that we're to pay attention to that and it will keep us out of the storms. It will protect us. It'll keep us out of those things that can actually destroy us. So whenever you live by your gut feeling, live by your emotions, live by your want to's, you're going to have spiritual disorientation and you may think you're going straight and level and everything's wonderful when you're actually screaming straight down and you're going to hit the ground in a disaster. And it could literally destroy your reputation. It can destroy, you know, when you decide you know what's best for you instead of what God knows is best for you, you have set yourself up for a disaster. So we're going to be talking about today about prayer and does it matter? Back when I was in seminary, I, was, I did a major research on the top 20 churches in baptism in the United States. Um, I was doing this in preparation for uh, a major paper, and, and I just wanted to find out what were the key ponies. What, you know, the, baptism is how you can, you, one of the instruments that you judge about how a church is doing and reaching people with the gospel. And so I just wanted to see if I could find some common denominators. And what I discovered that in those top 20 churches in baptism, I got to talk to a lot of their pastors and a lot of their associate pastors, and that 90% of those churches, that the people that were being baptized, the people that were being saved, were people that they were praying for by name. They were actively praying for those individuals. And they were the ones that they were seeing to come to know the Lord. So there is a huge relationship between prayer and changed lives. <clears throat> so let, we're going to talk about some basic theology, but it's really important that we do that. Because these, these theological points are the instruments on your instrument panel that'll keep your life safe. First, we need to talk about God the Father. Now, God was Father. He was the Father of Jesus. 
In Matthew 3.17, when Jesus was baptized, he said, a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Now, God the Father is also the Father of everyone who's accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In Galatians 3.26, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. See, that's a good instrument to see on your, on your instrument panel. I belong to God. He's my father. And I can bring him great joy like Jesus brought him great joy. That's huge. That's so important. And, and, and then through Jesus, God gives us salvation. He made it possible. John three sixteen. for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And then in Romans chapter eight, he says, the law of Moses was unable to save us. Now, if you're trying to save yourself by being a good person, the Bible says it's not going to work. It will not happen. It cannot, it will, it won't happen. You cannot save yourself by being a good person because it's impossible for you to be a good person apart from Jesus. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Now, if you don't believe you have a sinful nature, just talk to somebody who knows you. They'll, they'll help you real quick. They love you, but they'll say, oh yeah, you got a sin nature. We all have that. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son, his own son, in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. How, how wonderful that is. God has declared that there's an end to sin over your life because of Jesus. And he did this so that the, this verse four, and he did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. You see, God is a holy God and he's not going to wink at sin. He's not going to excuse sin. His holiness required that sin had to be dealt with. And he said, unless there's a shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And he was willing to let Jesus be the one to shed his blood so that you wouldn't have to. Praise God. This is amazing. Now, it's through Jesus, because now we, we're forgiven and we have become a child of God. And because of what Jesus did, it's through Jesus that communication with God the Father has been made a reality. We can actually talk to him. Ephesians 2.18 now, all of us can come to the Father. He's talking to believers now. All believers can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit 
because of what Christ has done for us. All of us can come to the Father, a brand new Christian, a Christian who's messed up, a Christian who's not been walking with Jesus for a while, you name it. If you're a Christian, if you have claimed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have been granted access to the Father to talk to him through a thing called prayer. Now, I have to ask myself a logical question. You know, God's holy, God's perfect, God's plans are unmovable. Can God be influenced or motivated by prayer? Now, Scripture teaches that God's plan is definite, it's fixed, it's not subject to revision, and yet we're commanded to pray and we're taught that prayer has value. So let's figure that out. In, in James chapter 5, 16, <clears throat> it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So prayer has a part in our healing process, not just physically, that's usually what we think about, but also emotionally and spiritually. He said, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Well, who's a righteous person? Anybody who's claimed Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because when you pray to receive Christ, God declared that you are righteous. He declared that you have been made right with him. So this doesn't mean I have to go to seminary to know how to pray. Doesn't mean I have to take a prayer class and, you know, in order to be able to pray. I don't have to get a merit badge in prayer in order to have the right to pray. I mean, it's anybody who's righteous, any righteous person, not only has the ability, the the right to pray, you have great power in your prayer. And there are wonderful results from those prayers. So here's what happens. God works with us in partnership. One theologian put it this way. God does not act if man does not play his part. If prayer is the means by which God acts, then it's vital that you and I pray. E.M. Bounds wrote a lot of book on prayers. This is one of his quotes that I love. He says, prayer affects men, men and women, by affecting God. Prayer moves men and women because it moves God to move men and women. Prayer influences men and women by influencing God to influence them. I love this. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. What amazing influence you and I have been allowed to have through this thing called prayer. Now in Isaiah 59, we see some of the astonishments and amazement of God, which you wouldn't think that that'd be a word associated with God. What could amaze him? What could astonish him? Um, but here's what it says. He, God, was amazed to see that no one 
intervened to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm and his justice sustained him. So this expression of amazement and astonishment by God communicates to me his expectation that we're going to pray and we're going to intercede. In fact, he searches for that person. In 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God's looking for those of us who are praying so that he can empower that. So now what about Jesus? God the Son. Equal to the Father, equal to the Holy Spirit. In the lifestyles and teachings of Jesus, there are great examples for us as believers. Even though Jesus was equal to the Trinity in the Trinity, he still prayed to the Father. In fact, Jesus declared that his Father's house was a house of prayer. Jesus prayed early in the morning. Jesus prayed at night. Jesus prayed alone. Jesus prayed in a crowd. In Luke, it tells us that he prayed all night long. He prayed in large public gatherings. In fact, Jesus functioned as believers are to function today, and that is a total dependence upon God the Father through a life of prayer. How foolish it is for a pilot not to pay attention to his instrument panel because it could cost him his life, as we've seen. How foolish it is for a believer not to avail themselves to this beautiful thing called prayer. Matthew 26 this is when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night he was arrested. After he stationed some of the disciples at the entrance and a little further, he took three disciples with him and then he went even further. It says he went a little further and bowed with his face to the ground praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not Mine. So was it a sin for Jesus to ask the cup to be removed? Absolutely not. But he's telling me how to pray. Say, God, I'm going through a tough time here. Will you remove this tough time? But if not, will you give me what it takes to get through it? Will you let me learn what I need to learn through this? Will you help me to be a witness for you in this difficultness? Because I want to tell you, your greatest witness opportunities are when you are going through a tough time. When people see how you handle difficultness, then that's when they find out what you're made of. Philippians 2.6, talking about Jesus, though Jesus was God... He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. So Jesus was willing 
to submit himself to the will of the Father. He knew that he came to die. He knew that he came to die on a cross. He knew that his life was going to be sacrificed for our sins. He knew that's why he, he was sent to earth. And even though he could have walked away from it, even though he could have called on 10 legions of angels to come and take him off that cross, he didn't. Praise God. He was willing to go through that for your sake and my sake. You know, there are a lot of uh, teachings of Jesus. Many promises were given in regards to prayer. In fact, in John 14, he says, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it. That's huge. But then he says, so that the son can bring glory to the father. So it's kind of like saying, hey, you can ask for anything and I'll do it, but don't lose sight as to why I'll do it. It's so that glory can be given to the father. And, and so if your prayer is not about giving glory to the father, it's an invalid prayer. If your prayer is about giving glory to you, and if your prayer is all about you, you're missing the whole point. It's about giving glory to the Father. I mean, this is when Jesus, when God the Father said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. You want God to say that about you. This is my child in whom I am well pleased. So our job is to please the Father. And he goes on to say in verse 14, yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, there are a couple of conditions that Jesus gives. In Matthew 18, he says, I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where there are two or three gathered together as my followers, I am there among you. Doesn't mean he's not there if you're by yourself. And he's not saying that if you pray by yourself, God doesn't listen because obviously Jesus prayed alone many times. But he's saying there's more power when we gather together to pray in unity. Then he said in John 15, but if you remain in me or abide in me and my words remain in you, you're, you're doing what I've told you to do. You're living by my truth. If you're doing those things, then you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. So the assumption is Jesus is saying, hey, when you're walking with me, you're abiding in me and you're living for, for the Father's glory, then anything you ask is going to be appropriate because your motives are going to be right and pure. But you're also willing to accept the answer, not yet or no because I've got something better. And then we're told there can be no unconfessed sin in our life when we're praying. Psalm 66 says, if, you, if, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, David said, if I hadn't confessed, the Lord would not have listened. Now sometimes people get a little uptight about this and they say, you know, I, I can't remember everything I've done wrong. I, I'm there with you. 
And I don't think God's the kind of God said, oh, yeah, when you were in the third grade, you picked on that kid, so you never asked me to forgive you. So that's not how God works. But it is appropriate to ask the Holy Spirit and say, show me, reveal to me anything that's between you and me, anything that I've not confessed, anything that I need to get right with you about. And he'll, he'll do that. And, and if he doesn't, then that means you're caught up. <clears throat> Second, there has to be appropriate motives when you pray. James 4.3, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what, here it is, will give you pleasure. You remember what God the Father says? He said, this is my son who pleases me, brings me great joy. He, he said, listen, if your motives are wrong and you're only focusing on what will give you pleasure, God's not obligated to answer those prayers. In fact, in 1 John 5, 14, he says, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. Pleases him. But if I'm abiding in Jesus... And I'm living by the principles of Scripture, then my life is pleasing Him. And therefore, my prayers are going to be appropriate. Now, Jesus corrected a couple of abuses of prayers, and we need to be mindful of this. And because there are a lot of times this abuse is even in the church today. He said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. In other words, their prayers do not get beyond the ears of the people that happen to hear them because God's not listening to them. And then he said... When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. You know, some of you, you recite prayers and you just say prayers that you've memorized. And maybe you've gotten to the point that you're just saying words, but you don't think about the meaning of the words and you're just repeating words. And they've lost their meaning. God doesn't listen to that. He says, they think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. This is a cool thought. The Holy Spirit guides us in our prayers. He teaches us what to pray for. And how cool is it that the Holy Spirit prompts you to pray the prayers that God has already decided he wants to answer for you. Things that he has for you. You see, the role of the Holy Spirit, well, in the life of the believer, he teaches us how to pray. He prays when we don't know how to pray. He guides us in our prayers. It's, it's vital. I mean, 
we, we pray through Jesus to the Father with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So the Trinity's involved in our prayer life. We're praying to God the Father. We, we are praying through Jesus because that's how we have access to the Father. But the Holy Spirit is in us and he's guiding us in those prayers. But also the Holy Spirit is involved in the life of the non-believer. Listen to this. Jesus said this in John 16. And when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of his sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is this, that it refuses to believe in me. You want to know the real issue of our country? You can make a long list of all the things that are wrong with our country, but the real thing that's wrong in our country is that we refuse to believe in Jesus. That's the real problem in our country. Righteousness, verse 10, righteousness is available because I go to the Father. And you will see me no more. So Jesus left the earth, went and sits next to the Father in his kingdom. And the Bible says he is interceding for you. So the Holy Spirit lives in you. He shows you how to pray, teaches you how to pray, guides you in your prayers. And Jesus gives those prayers to the Father. Verse 11. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. That's a good word for us today. Judgment is coming. It's coming on our country. It's coming on our world. It is coming because God has already judged. And it cannot be stopped. Since the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring people to repentance, what role does prayer have in that? <clears throat> I mean, the reality is it's impossible for you and me to convince anyone of their sin. We're not able to do it. And the only the Holy Spirit can do that. That's why you can talk to somebody and, and share all the truth of Scripture and they just, they just, you know, write you off and walk away. You can talk to somebody else, even flub the words up, not say it exactly right, and they are so open to the gospel. The difference is the Holy Spirit's working on one, but not the other. And it's not because of you. It's because of his work. As far as God tells us in his word... The Holy Spirit has no way of getting to the unsaved world except to those, through those who are already saved. That's why Jesus gave us the Great Commission. Even when some of our former Muslim friends who've spoken in this church shared about how they got saved, they, they would tell you, say, well, Jesus came to me in a dream. I learned about Jesus from a dream. But then what they would mostly do, they would go find a Christian and say, you need to tell me about Jesus. They needed a believer to instruct them, to help them. And they probably had somebody praying for them for their salvation. So this is ex prayer 
and evangelism are exceedingly serious. Because we've already been told judgment is coming. It's already been decided. We cannot stop it. But we can try to save as many as possible. As, as possible. Prayer is that indispensable link between, between the work of the Holy Spirit and the purpose of evangelism. We have a role, we have a responsibility, we have a privilege of praying for lost individuals. You know, I want to tell you the greatest spiritual warfare you'll ever have is when it, when it comes down to prayer. You know why you struggle in praying and staying faithful in your prayer? Because the greatest spiritual warfare you will ever have comes in your prayer time to keep you from praying. I heard one person said it this way, Satan trembles when the weakest Christian gets down on his knees to pray. That's the kind of power there is in prayer. Because of his all-encompassing power, God is capable of answering our prayers. Because God is <clears throat> holy, a holy God, he is worthy of my worship and my prayers. Because he is omnipotent, because he is a holy God, he's worthy of our worship. Paul put it this way. I shall pray with the Spirit. And I shall pray with the mind also. You know, what that suggests to me is I'm praying under the power of the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to organize my prayers. I'm going to be specific in my prayers. I'm going to have a list of what I'm praying for. You know, usually when he wrote one of his letters, he would talk about how I've been praying for you. I prayed for this and I prayed for that. And he said, I've, I've, I've got, I put my mind to it. I've, I know what you need and I know what you are focusing on. I know what you're hurting with. And I've been praying for that. So there should be an organization to your prayer. You should be praying with your mind as well as the spirit. They go together. <clears throat> Even the psalmist said, in the morning, I will order my prayer to thee and eagerly watch. I will order my prayer. You know, once you settle the idea that you belong to God, it changes everything. Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees and the Herodians about whether they should pay taxes to Caesar. They were always trying to trap him. And so Jesus said, well, show me a coin. And they showed him a coin. He says, whose image is on it? And they said, well, Caesar. And he said, well, then that's Caesar's coin. It's got his image on it, so give it to Caesar. But what has the image of God, you give to God. And all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, God says, we shall make them in our image. From the very beginning... God put his image on you. You belong to him. In fact, believers and non-believers alike belong to God. And that's why, that's why he loves us so much. That's why he doesn't want to send anybody to eternal damnation. He doesn't want to send anybody there. 
He desires for everyone to know about Jesus. Let me just share one last thing. Last week, I asked you to write down the names, just the first name of people that you would like to see saved. Well, we took all those names and we put them on slips of paper and they're in six different piles up here. If you really believe in prayer based on what we talked about in scripture today, if you really believe that prayer impacts evangelism and prayer unleashes the Holy Spirit to convict people of their lack, their need of Jesus, their lack of a savior, their need of a savior, I'm just going to ask that you make a seven-day commitment. If you're not willing to do the whole seven days, then just don't do it. But to come and just take one, just take one slip of paper, there won't be enough. And then for the next seven days, choose to agree with God that he wants every one of these people saved. Pray that the Holy Spirit will be unleashed on these individuals. You don't need to know the last name because God already knows who they are, right? He knows exactly who you're praying for. And as you pray, you pray, Lord, this person is not a believer based on the na their name being turned in. And only you can convict of sin. So I pray that your Holy Spirit will work in their life and convict them of their sinfulness and then convince them of their need for a savior. And then I pray that they'll hear about Jesus. I pray that they'll be convicted to, to come to church, that they'll be convicted to talk to someone, that let them have dreams like some of our Muslim friends have had dreams about Jesus. <clears throat> so they'll seek after him. Weep over them. Say, Father, if this person doesn't pray to receive Christ, they're going to spend eternity in hell. And you don't want that. Let God break your heart with the things that break his. And one of the things that breaks God's heart is a person who rejects Jesus. So if you're willing to commit to seven days, I want you to just come and get one piece of paper. We might run out if we don't. Um, that's okay. <clears throat> and then for the next seven days, you pray for those people. You, know, you may never find out who that person is. You may never know the end result, but the person who wrote their names down, they'll know. And maybe, just maybe one day in heaven, somebody taps you on the shoulder and they say, you don't know me, but your prayers are how I heard about Jesus. Thank you for praying for me. Because I think we'll have all knowledge in heaven. We'll, we'll know those things. How cool that would be. And know that it pleases God that you're praying for the soul of someone that Jesus died for. That pleases him. And know that God longs to answer those prayers and partner with you about that. Now, as, band, as the band comes out, we're going to take the offering first. 
And uh, so men, if y'all want to go ahead and come and you can go ahead and start. And after the men have passed your row, then if you want to come and get a card, you just slip out. And we've got six different stations up here. So guys, you can go ahead and start. And as they pass your row, then you feel free to come. So let me pray.